like very strong. They use the. <laughs> Wait, what did we say about describing TikTok memes on it? It's the best. <laughs> when it goes. <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see how Alexia spells for the episode title. Welcome back, everyone, to Nail Social Office Hours number 26, the October episode, the spooky episode. Is this, is this the spooky episode or is that next week? Um, I think that's next week. This isn't the only October episode, though. <laughs> right. That's confusing. Yeah, every week. So, And this week is particularly packed, jam-packed. Um, I'm Jess Bachman, Digital Strategy Director at Nail Communications and Lead Scientist Junior at N.S., I am Rachel Jackson. I am the social analytics manager at Nail Communications and the lead scientist Keep at Nail going. Social. <laughs> you got it. And what's going on in this episode? Why is it so packed? Um, Jess wanted to do a very long episode. That's why. <laughs> so first we have a This Week in Organic where we're going to talk about intellectual property and how that works on social and if it does work or if it doesn't work. Spoiler, it doesn't. <laughs> um we're in this week in paid. We want to talk about the tension between direct response teams and creative teams and why mm. that tension is important and why it makes things hard. Um, in a new segment, or actually we're bringing this back, tech, TikTok sucks right now, part two, why? And then in an episode that's just in a, in a uh, segment that's just called spicy. Well, let's save that. It's spicy. <laughs> yeah, we'll save that. Uh, and then we have a final segment called okay pause which is a little bit of a ripoff of pod save america's okay stop but it's fine yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. a meme uh and then the rant wheel has uh changed into the rant coin which will be a coin toss rant decision and that'll do it for us this this right. episode so it, we have like a few extra segments than normal um feel free to take breaks Every couple of minutes if you need to do that. You know that. what's awesome is that you can just pause it. <clears throat> oh, yes. That's right. <laughs> take a break. Take a breather. Press pause. Pick it back up where you left off. Um, yeah. So it's just rock and roll. You make me a maniac, but you don't know. Well, that sounds familiar. This TikTok meme is Walls Could Talk by Halsey, but that's the song. Mm -hmm. But the meme convention is where people use the inverted filter, where like right when the beat drops or whatever, that like very strong, they use the... <laughs> Wait, what did we say about describing TikTok memes on it? It's the best. <laughs> when it goes, you use the inverted um, face filter, which like makes you a different color, like a blue or green or red or something. Um, yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how Alexia spells for the episode title. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, you guys, we made like three hours worth of TikToks yesterday. Um, and it's something we have for a new thing for Plug Your Ears a little bit later. Mm-hmm. So what are we talking about with intellectual property? Just recently had an experience where things are being stolen and how do we deal with that? Well, I'm, I'm seeing this all over the place um, on Twitter, on Instagram. Um, my wife just put out a, a book. Someone bought her book and is now like publishing versions of her work on Instagram and it's 
it, it's like tweeting or stealing stuff hasn't affected me or, or my wife personally until now. And now I sort of see it everywhere. Like whenever mm-hmm. I see a, whenever I see a tweet that's trending something funny and I'll go to the comments, invariably there's always people like, oh, you stole it from this person or that person. And it's, it's kind of interesting. It's like this bigger conversation that not everyone is talking about. I mean, it happens on TikTok with the all of these songs. The Halsey song, for example, is being used hundreds of thousands of times, and she's not getting any royalties on that. What does that look like? What does that mean for creators? But also, you know, in, in more written or visual formats, um, when people screenshot um, artists' work or they they screenshot me, uh, um, Twitter like tweets or mm-hmm. whatever and then it goes onto the front page of reddit and for then from there it gets onto facebook and half the time any any like attribution is cut out like people screen sure. they, people crop it out um so what does that mean for things like aggregate accounts and should those creators be paid something interesting i recently just saw was um so fuck jerry is this big aggregate meme account on instagram mm-hmm. huge millions of followers but they sort of do the same thing. They screenshot tweets, they screenshot memes, and they just post them to their account. And it's, it's an aggregation of a bunch of different creators. But the credit doesn't necessarily go to those creators and they don't get paid. A new account just popped up that I saw and it's called Mug Jerry. And this Instagram account is dedicated to paying each of the creators that mm. Fuck Jerry rips off. So basically, they ta- each post that Fuck Jerry does, they also post but then contact the creator and ask, can we pay you, please? Or can we make a donation in your name? I wonder who's funding that. I don't know. It's by, um, it's from this website called goodliars.com. Hmm. Well, aggregate accounts are a sort of special category of stealing. What, what bothers me the most is normal people who will like steal a tweet or steal a post and then put that out there like it's, like it's theirs, mm-hmm. like like they came up with it, and you and you, you might see people calling them out in the comments, but by that time it's got like ten thousand retweets, and they're mm-hmm. already like, well, here's my SoundCloud or whatever, right. and they're already getting all of the the fame from it, and there's no platform mechanism to deal with this. Like people bitching in the comments is not a mechanism to deal with this. No, you know? it's it's not fair, and it, for for regular people you might not think it really affects you, but if you're an artist and you're losing out on commissions, like the the example I like to use is. So I'm an artist, I'm a visual artist, I'm posting picture, I'm posting my paintings, I'm posting my, my work, and someone takes it, screenshots it, puts it on their account, that blows up, and my, my name isn't attached to it, and so I'm not getting work I could potentially through commissions, and mm-hmm. you're losing out on money. It's not just about impressions, it's not just about um, if you're an influencer or something like that. If you're an actual creator, if you're a comedian and those words are your words, or if you're a writer and those words are your words, you're missing out on business. And that, to me, that's a big deal. Yeah, and how frustrating must it be to write a funny tweet and then someone else is just like cashing in on that? I cannot mm-hmm. believe how frustrating that must be. So the bigger question here, and I guess this is more questions than answers, is this your intellectual property? Is it, I mean, people also have parallel thought. How do you prove that yeah. this was your thought before the other person's right. thought? I'm not sure. And now in like this big, you know, age of internet or whatever it is that we're in, well, How does that work? It's, it's very complicated because the person who's stealing my wife's poems isn't reposting them word for word. Um, she bought the book and now she's like each poem, she's like sort of deconstructing and then reconstructing using the same ideas, some of the same phrases. But it's not it's not like my wife's going to take her to court or mm-hmm, anything. Mm-hmm. It, you know, there's no there's no platform mechanism to deal with this. And I wish there was. I'd love it if 
people could flag uh, like a post on Instagram and if enough people flag it, it automatically like links to what the original one is. Mm, that's interesting. That could like discourage people, I think. That's cool. Well, it's kind of like kind of like how fact checking works on Facebook. Yeah. It could be something like that. If it's flagged enough or whatever, it, it goes through some sort of fact checking system or or creator checking system. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. Um, <clears throat> one platform that actually does this well is YouTube. Like just yeah, try YouTube and <laughs> just try well. and upload some like IP protected thing on there, and it's like uh, they automatically detect it, and th- that person gets all the revenue. And, and and you know if you find someone else that's uploading your work, you can file a copyright strike. And yeah, it does. Have very little very recourse fast. for for the other side. You, you know? can't even upload a video you've already uploaded on YouTube. I, I deal with that problem all the time. It, I, you're right. That they actually do do a good job. Be more like YouTube. Well, I mean, th- they take it a step too far for the the copyright holders, because mm. anyone who's like the people that have the own the rights of the Happy Birthday song do like copyright strikes on a- anyone that's like using that song. You know, it's and there's no recourse for that. So I think they take it a step too far. But what it proves is platforms can both algorithmic detect this stuff mm-hmm. and deal with it, and also have like a a process to deal with this stuff. And I'd love to see that on Instagram and Twitter and other platforms like that. You make me a maniac, but you don't know. Oh, so with this weekend paid, um, there's been a lot of chatter and talk around the tension between traditional marketing or traditional agencies and direct response slash e-commerce. And the reason is because there's a lot of attention on, on direct response and e-commerce now, particularly in Q4, but it's it's kind of hot right now. There's there's money to be made there. Brands sort of want this. They want to see sales. This is a great way to see that data. So um, in-house teams and agencies are trying to build their own direct response teams. And we've seen this. Um, there's a tweet from Andrew Foxwell recently where he said, I've been hearing a lot from traditional agencies that want to build a growth team internally or learn direct response best practices. I think this is awesome. We've seen in a ton of, we've been in a ton of meetings with brands and agencies who aren't thinking in the direct response mindset. But it's not it's not that easy. You just can't build a team because there's fundamentally different mindsets. Yeah, I feel like we even see this in at Nail all the time. I mean, we're time. not we're not even a dr- dr- direct response team particularly. We're just people who have some data behind us. Mm-hmm. And even the tension between that, you know, actually having um, showing what the creative what works for the creative and what doesn't work, and then having dealing with you know the creative team their understanding of that brings apart brings its own tension. Um, yeah, there's a reason why there are traditional agencies and whole separate agencies that focus on direct response because it's a different type of people. It's a different type of creative. Like with traditional, like let's shoot a manifesto. The video will cost $400,000 or something. And with direct response, it's like get your iPhone out and shoot some UGC of you putting some makeup on or something and, and there's, put that out there. there's completely different purpose be- behind why these things exist. A- awareness content, branding content, lofty manifestos, beautiful work <clears throat> that really tells you about who the brand is and what their purpose is and why they exist is completely different than sales content. And you can't expect it to work at the same level. And you can't expect clients to want just one or the other. They need, you know, both. And sometimes clients 
want the awareness sort of content. They want it to come from an agency that does good work and that produced, you know, the same sort of thing as, you know, Coca-Cola has or the same sort of thing that Nike has. You know, they want to be the kind of company who looks like this or looks like that or has a, you know, a stance behind them. And that is not that sort of e-commerce UGC type content that converts it's right. very different yeah like at the, at the end of the day at the end of the quarter it is about sales but and that's the rational way of thinking but humans are not rational there are i mean we have a client where the the founder's name is on the product and yes they may want to sell a lot but there's that person wants to like believe in something it wants yeah. their product to like stand for something mm-hmm. and even if that doesn't even if that's sort of less sales getting they they still feel good doing that so there's tension even within brands and um clients about whether they should do uh awareness or direct response the answer is that you should do both right i think it's i think it's about like striking a balance and it's not just about it's not just about the clients it to me the creative team is is part of it too i mean mm-hmm. they want to do good work yeah they don't want to do ug style ugc style boomerangs you know what <clears> i mean <throat> and i think you can create work that converts that does tell a story and that is brand cohesive it's not that it can't be done it absolutely can be done and that's why these agencies do exist and that's why it's important to again strike the balance yeah i mean like we have creatives who uh, they're like hardcore creatives so they want to look at their work and see that you know that looks good to me Um, but on the other side it's like with with us it's like, I don't even care what the creative is. Well, I'll look at a number, and if, like, the ROAS is, like, 2.8, mm-hmm. it's like, well, that looks good to the me. The number tells <laughs> you. It's interesting. I mean, we, it goes back to sort of that um, awards show thing. It's mm-hmm. not about awards shows anymore. You don't – you the numbers will tell you if it's good, not yeah. some lofty, you know, person on a hill will tell you if it's good. So so that's what, what, we, what we use, whereas yeah. maybe some, some creatives in the past would, would look to – what they think is good and that would just be it yeah so i think what we're saying is that you need both how you integrate like e-com or direct response into the agency model has not been figured out it takes uh, like it takes real leadership and management skill to bring these types of people together so people aren't irritated and and they're all friends at the end of the day you know (laughs) it's challenging all friends Um, at the end of the day but it's it's something that's going to need to happen for agencies that are looking to evolve for sure you make me a maniac, but you don't know. Oh, TikTok sucks right now, part two. I thought TikTok was the jam. Rachel. <laughs> I had a very interesting experience where, so we wanted to create a nail social TikTok page. And so I went to my TikTok and immediately logged out and then realized I didn't know my password. So now we have a nail TikTok, but we don't have my TikTok. Mm-hmm. And so I can't get in. I honestly spent like a half hour logging in and out and trying to get my password back, all of this stuff. I don't know why it was so difficult for me. I'm like at the point where I might DM TikTok or something. It's ridiculous. Or like DM me at like 9.30 at night (laughs) in all caps. (laughs) I was really desperate because I started going through the nail social um, TikTok feed. And what I realized was it's trash. So, so bad. But what I realized was it's because this is not my highly curated feed. Mm -hmm. TikTok's algorithm is so, so good at giving you what you want. And if you feed it properly, if you like a bunch of things and if you you Mm -hmm. comment on a few things, if you you scroll past the things you don't like, 
all of that are signals to the algorithm and all of that works very, very well. It's similar to the discover page on Instagram in some ways. Yes. In some ways, no, but it's so effective. And what I realized is I hadn't fed the nail, the nail social one yet. And so that's why it was delivering me with crap content Mm -hmm. and it will look like that. And so if you just download it willy nilly and you just scroll five or six times, you won't realize the value that TikTok has to offer because right. it's not delivering you content it, you like. We recommend TikTok all the time because we, like, everything we see is like really cool. But we have to, we need to remember that the person getting it for the first time is like, what is this yeah. exploitive garbage exactly. content? It, the first things you see are exploitative things like, oh, you know, I'm going to throw an egg at my teacher or something like that. Or follow me to find out what yes, happened. Follow me to find out or yep. tw- come back in 24 hours to find out what happens. Or it's like a lot of high schoolers. And I'm like, I don't, can't relate to that right. sort of content. So it, it, or like it's a lot of boyfriend, girlfriend sort of stuff. And mm-hmm. I can't relate to that either. So I don't know. It's, it's not good until you feed it. And then it works really well. Like the second I was able to like a few dog posts, mm-hmm. my feed was all dogs. It was great. So, you need to play with it, I guess, is, is right. the recommendation. And, and TikTok's a bit different than other platforms. Like with when you sign up for Twitter for the first time, it's like, here are all these people that you should follow, like Bill Gates and whatever, all these good people, and you select a few of them. And now you have a feed that's not trash. It's Bill Gates and his boys, you know? <laughs> but with, well, with TikTok, it's not about who you follow. Right. Most of the interaction comes from the For You page. Yeah. I think we're not sure if followers even really need to be a thing on TikTok. Mm-hmm. You don't really need them to get popular because people are mostly using the For You page. They're mostly using that algorithmic feed based on what they like or, or don't like. They're not, they're, it's not as popular to, to use the following feed. And so I'm not sure if followers are really the metric we need to be thinking about on on TikTok just because that's not the convention that you're using for that platform. Right. If you if you don't use TikTok and you're wondering what the For You page is, it's almost like the Instagram explore, but like that's it. Only only post by post, you know? Um, right. The Instagram Explore page is a little different. I mean, I liked how it used to be where you would click into one image and then you could scroll through. Mm-hmm. And it would just be a bunch of different images that you liked. So it would be maybe one food thing, one dog thing, one fashion thing, one, you know, influencer thing. And it would just be a continuous scroll. Now it's changed that for on Instagram. If you click on a food thing on the Explore page, you will just get more food things. Yeah. I don't like that. I don't, I don't think like that's it either. A, yeah, it's very bizarre to me. I don't know why it's like that. But on, on um, TikTok, it's more like how Instagram used to be where it would be an amalgamation of the things you like based on what was in your, um, who right. you're following and what you like. And, and you said that you don't even like, like or follow many people. So TikTok is pulling a bunch of signals, like how many times you rewatch something. Rewatch. It must be time of watch. It must be if I scrolled right past something. It has to be more than just liking something. Right. So if, if you download TikTok and you think it sucks, grind it out for a little bit, for like a half hour. You might need more than a half hour. For an hour. Maybe we should put the, put together a list of TikToks you should like to get yourself started. That's a good idea. Yeah. Um, spend some time with it. It's not, yes, it's, it will suck in the beginning, but spend some time with it. It'll get better. And then you'll see what we see in the platform. You make me a maniac, but you don't know. Oh, Jess, do you know who Bill Penzi is? No idea. Bill Penzi 
is the founder of Penzi's Spices. Do you know who Penzi's Spices is? I've never even heard of it. Penzi's Spices <laughs> is a spice company. Do you know what spices are? Um, <laughs> I, I, not really. It's like a Twitter thing. It's is a meme. It's <laughs> a spice company that has spent $92,000 on impeachment ads on Facebook. Are they the same company that spent $2.5 million on political spending this year? Same company. So they, <laughs> this company, a spice company, not a political company. There's no it, They're not like a pack or anything. They are just spending a ton of money on political ads, and particularly anti-Trump ads, um, and have spent actually more than anyone else on impeachment ads <laughs> besides Donald Trump. <laughs> Is this so? Is this Bill guy? Is he on like a jihad against Trump? Like, what's going on? So he is. So since 2016, like once he found out that that Donald Trump was a candidate, he actually did, um, did like a bunch of emails in in, in his uh, for his newsletter, telling people that uh, Trump was an openly racist candidate, quote unquote. Um, so he has always sort of been a, a political ha, has a political stance and has been openly political. Um, to his to his <clears throat> fan base. But mm -hmm. this is sort of one of the first times we've seen someone take this huge political stance uh, and spend so much money more than politicians, <clears throat> more than Elizabeth Warren, right. more than more than um, other um, other politicians on Facebook in the ads are so interesting. We'll be happy to link to these, but because they're like an image that's not great an image. It's, right. it's just a weird, bizarre image. And then like paragraphs of text right. explaining why a, he doesn't like him. A great way to find their ads is to go to their Facebook page, go to the right-hand side, click the transparency thing, and then you get to the ad library where you can see all their all their ads. But what's fascinating to me is that they're spending so much, $2.5 this year, mm -hmm. and the ads are terrible. Yeah, the ads aren't great. So this sort of <laughs> begs the question, are these ads working but on two fronts, are they working in terms of sales? Are people actually buying? Because, you know, maybe they connect with the thought that, you know, Trump should be impeached or whatever. And then they're like, yeah, this this Penzi's guy is on the right track and maybe I want to buy from him. Or are they also working in terms of legislation? Is it getting getting the thought in front of people that, oh, maybe he should be impeached. Maybe I should write to my senator or whatever. Maybe we should really get this these impeachment hearings going. You know what I mean? He's yeah. got two completely different goals here. It's really interesting and spending so much money. You know what I think is going on? What? I think what's going on is Bill is incredibly wealthy and he's logged into the company's account on Facebook and he made a post and he's like, oh, I should boost this post. And he presses the boost button and then he puts a one with like five zeros in it and then just sends it along. <laughs> No, I, honestly, I don't think they're boosted like that, though, because if you look at the ads, there's probably 10 to 15 different versions of each one, which means those are different audiences. He's doing targeting. Yeah, I think it's I'm, more than that. I'm sure it's like by state. Um, He's doing, yeah, I guess it's by state. It's really interesting. But terrible copy, terrible images, um, and I feel like we should reach out to Bill and help them out. But it's interesting. I mean, this this is like sort of a bigger question. I uh, my mind is brought back to just the the first political not political, but the first like um, ad I can think of that had a sort of a stance are those those like um, boys shouldn't be boys Gillette ad. You know that right. one, where now brands are becoming more comfortable with taking a side on things um, and 
this is an example there's of a, a very, very... But there's a strategy behind it. Yeah, and during themselves, like this fits with our absolutely. brand ethos, or these are go after the millennials who think sure, this. You know, um, this looks like this is like Bill's personal page, and he's just dumping this stuff out here. It's so weird. I think it's I think it's it's interesting though. I mean, he says he's not afraid to disagree with customers, and he hopes that him by him taking a stance and not being afraid to take a stance he will gain customers who agree with him and that's an interesting strategy that yeah. you don't see like a lot of people are afraid we deal with this a lot of times with clients that you, we can't use certain words we can't use certain phrases or imagery because it's too divisive mm -hmm. but um something that alec brought up the other day it's sort of similar to the what michael jordan said with about the shoes when he was, I can't remember what it was. He was he was asked to do commentary on something, and he said no. And they asked why, and he said, "Well, Republicans buy shoes too." Yeah. So you sometimes people, you know, they don't want to be divisive about things. You don't want to, you know, take a stance. But other times, with this Bill Penzi guy, it seems like this is the only stance he wants to take. Right. It it is a little refreshing in that when when brands take a stance, usually they're full of shit, even to yeah, begin right, with. Right. Right. Uh, like 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 Nike will do um, that thing with Colin Kaepernick where it's like stand up for something, but at the same time their stance on China is, is terrible, you know. So mm -hmm. um, it seems like it's interesting that this guy's going all in on this, and I'm, I wonder if it can scale. You know, can McCormick do this and then like piss off half of their people, or is Penzi Spices only going to get so large? Clearly, it's it's working enough that he's going to spend two point five million dollars doing it uh, a year, but. I don't know if like McCormick or other spice companies could pull this is off. Is this just a spice thing? <laughs> That's what the name of the segment is. Spice of life. You make me a maniac, but you don't know. So speaking of stealing other people's content, we have a new segment called OK Pause. OK Pause. Uh, <laughs> And this, and you know, to give credit, this comes from a segment of um, Pod Save America where they play a clip and they say, okay, stop, and then they sort of talk about it, that type of thing. And I thought that was fun. So that is now ours. <laughs> Taken. So we have a clip from Sheryl Sandberg being interviewed by Katie Couric. Um, and Wait, this Sand happened Tuesday? Yeah. Yeah, and, recent. And Sheryl's talking about just all sorts of stuff going on with Facebook and their impartiality and stuff like that. So. For those of you who don't know, Sheryl Sandberg is the COO of Facebook. Mm -hmm. So take it away. Do you really think that people use Facebook as an opportunity to look at both sides and to see something when it's corrected? Or don't you think that people are getting stuff in their feed that is really affirmation, not information? Oh. All right, I'm so glad you asked this because there's actually really strong data here and no one understands this. Okay. So, so I roll. <laughs> when someone says that, they're telegraphing that there isn't strong data and everyone understands it. As, okay. You know what there is strong data for? And this has gone back like years and years and years. This is like a very well known. Is the, the bubble, information bubble that all yes. of us put our in. Like, are you kidding me? It's the most pervasive on Facebook. I know. She's basically like, Katie Kirk, you need to sit in the corner while I explain what's going on here. Oh my God. Okay, keep going. When you think about your contacts in the world, Psychologists, you have what's called um, your tight circle of contacts and then your broader circle of contacts. So you basically can keep in touch with five to seven people. That's your mom, your daughters, your husband, John, the people who you know where they are. What Facebook okay, enables boss. you to do. I love that she's explaining social media <laughs> to Katie Couric in 2019. 
Is she about to bring up Dunbar's number? <laughs> no. Dunbar's number. She might. It's the. It's like the amount of people you're able to have a relationship with. It's like 150. Right. Keep in touch with many more people. Without Facebook, without social media, without Instagram, Twitter, you won't hear from your college friends or the people you grew up with that often. So, if you compare people who do not use social media for people who do, the people who use social media see much more broad okay, points pause. of view, because. This is a moot argument because who does not use social media? Mm -hmm. It's like you have 2.x billion people. So you can't be like, well, the people on social media versus the like Joe in his basement who's off social media. Everyone is on social media. So we need to talk only about social media, not people that are off it. Yeah, it's an interesting argument to make. Like, you can't compare people who are on social media versus people who are off social media if everyone's on it. Yeah, they're the, they're the utility now. It's yeah. like the people that have electricity are like this, but the people that don't are completely different. Right. So, so you should have electricity. You yeah. Know, it doesn't... yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, keep going. If you don't use social media, you go to maybe one or two news outlets. They have one particular point of view. You read one or two newspapers, and that's it. On Facebook, you will see, on average, 26% of the stuff you see in news will be from another point of view, which means it's not half and half, but it is broadening of your views, and that's something that I don't think we've, we've okay. been able to... That is a lie. <laughs> also, that is she's, not <laughs> she's bragging about 26%. Like, it's like, yeah, so like, you know, a quarter of what you'll see might be something you disagree with. What? what that's <laughs> but, a good argument? But that's not the case. The, I, don't, I do not see 26% Republican viewpoints in my feeds. At yeah, all. that's really interesting. Particularly on what, Facebook. Which I is, wonder what she means by that. Differing points of view. How is that calculated? I, I, I don't know. I have no idea. To explain what our people really understand. And the reason for that is if you go to your news feed, you don't see like half blue and half red. You just see about 26% more from the other side than you otherwise would. So it is unequivocally true that Facebook usage and usage of social media shows you broader points of view, not narrower points of view other, than you would see otherwise. otherwise. And that's something no one understands. <laughs> okay, boss. <laughs> I don't know if we need to continue on with this, but it's like I, I have some like Republican friends on Facebook. I guarantee you they are not seeing 26% blue stuff mm -hmm. on Facebook. It feels like they're seeing 20, it's like 40% like ultra red, 28% maroon, 25% like reddish pink or whatever. And then occasionally I will comment with something blue and then they'll delete me, you know? I would like to see a graph of what you just <laughs> said with those percents. <laughs> I just, it's just, I, she's just holding a lot of, carrying a lot of water for Zuckerberg and Facebook and, and lying. I, I'd love to see the data behind these stats. You make me a maniac, but you don't know. The rant wheel is in the shop getting yeah, tuned so up. Yeah, so we had to scale down a little bit to the rant coin. So we only got two uh, two <laughs> rants on the coin today. We were thinking about putting a third one on, but it's not very likely that the coin will, like, land on the edge. It's about 26%. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was good. Okay. So the first rant is Facebook ad rejections. So we're dealing with a situation where Facebook will approve things and then reject them. And that's frustrating. Or social versus digital and what that means. Um, Alec recently wrote a, our, our creative partner recently wrote a tweet about how social is not digital and digital is not social. 
Mm-hmm. All right, so heads is going <clears throat> to be Facebook ad rejections and tails will be social versus digital. I am going to flip the coin. Heads. Rachel has never flipped a coin before. Why? <laughs> that was fine. You just like dropped it on that. <laughs> it flips. <laughs> okay, heads, Facebook ad rejections. So it seems like more and more my day is full of administrative work mm-hmm. of handling ad rejections it's incredibly frustrating we have some political clients here at nail so that means we are running some political ads some ads that hardly even touch the political space it's more like the social issues thing um Mm -hmm. and more and more we're dealing with the special ad category so if you guys don't know facebook just introduced these special ad categories that are um, housing uh, jobs and i can't remember the last one um but if you use words surrounding those <laughs> right. things, like we have some things that touch on jobs or career, you will most likely get flagged, and you can. And then if you if the ad is rejected, you have to you you have to use specific targeting. Like you can't use postal codes, or you can't use very specific right. things because they're trying to avoid you having discrimination, right. which is great. But the the approval's not manual, right? It's not like some guys looking at the ad and be like it. It's disapproved. No, it's very frustrating. So sometimes we you just use a few words in the post copy. It's not the video. They're definitely not watching the video. But it's like if the word job is used. Or, or actually, I think right. the most egregious word is career. If the word career is used, we, it almost always is getting flagged. And I'm like, okay, this is not about employment opportunities. It's not about a job fair. It's it's like there. Right. It's completely separate. You can separate. write like good job. Right. It, yep. Exactly. It's not contextual at all. So what's what's more interesting? It does. It's not that it just flat out gets rejected. It's that these things get approved. They run for a few days, even a week at some point, mm-hmm. and then randomly at two in the morning, I get five thousand emails that say your ad has been rejected. Yeah. So and, it's been uh, running. It was fine and dandy. Hundreds of thousands of people have seen this thing. They're clicking on it. They're interested in it. It's getting good feedback. Like a lot of times these have great engagement on them. It's not like it's a bad ad. It's not like it's a bad experience. Sure. But it randomly gets rejected. And then I have to deal with going back and forth through the review process. And it's not just that this happens once. So when you click um, review rejected ad or whatever, you can click on that and you can send it off for a manual review. And a lot of times that gets it done. Mm-hmm. What happens if it, that happens again, you cannot click review ad a second time. You can't, so you, it can't go back into the system. You have to go to Facebook ad chat or go through email like, mm-hmm. or contact your representative to actually get it going again. There's no way you can do it in, inside Facebook ads manager. It's incredibly frustrating. And so this has happened multiple times on these ads where they're running and then they get <clears> rejected and then they run again. And it's like, there, this can't happen multiple times. I know. It's ridiculous. How is it that most of my time now is spent on administrative work when it really should be me, you know, optimi- optimizing the ads and we're in work in like doing community management? It's ridiculous. Yeah, it is. And so, rant. And rant. <laughs> you make me a maniac, but you don't know. We have a very special plug your ears today. Yeah. Got like, something new. Like we mentioned, we have a TikTok now. It's Nail Social. So feel free to search that up in your TikTok and give it a follow. Or if you want, if you don't have the app, you can go to TikTok.com slash at nail.social. Mm-hmm. That's us. And you guys can see how fun we are. Yeah, we spent we spent about an hour yesterday making five TikToks. We storyboarded them out. We shot them with our executive producer, and 
it <laughs> it went well. I mean, we, it was a brand new account. We have like 54 likes already. I think, side note, it's important for brands or yeah, brands and social media practitioners to do this sort of thing. You put aside an hour and like figure <clears throat> out how the platform works. If you don't know how the platform works, if you don't know the mechanics of the platform, you don't know how to use it for your own account. You know right. what I mean? You these, these are all opportunities for your brands. And, and particularly TikTok, because it's not like there's a master plan to what's going on here. We looked at a bunch of trending memes and we we're like, how can social media people do that? Mm -hmm. And we did it. And we did it. And we <laughs> so check that out. We if you <laughs> if you also want to check us out on Twitter, we are nail.social on Twitter. If you want to email us, ask us any questions, want to learn more about our services we offer, we are coffee at nail.social. And our website is nail.social.com. No, you... not nail.social.com. Nail.social. <laughs> Nail.social.mobi.uk. <laughs> so if you made it this far, um, you are one of our super fans. You've made it all the way through the extended episode without taking any breaks. So take a break, hit pause, and then uh, go give our podcast a rating on whatever you're listening to. All right, guys. We will see you in the after show. Let me just say that I am in so much pain right now that that was a very difficult episode. I'm, could you not tell? I, I could, you could tell. tell. Yeah. Actually, I could tell. Um, <laughs> I also had a little something in my eye. Wow, we are a mess. Um, <laughs> Jess, what we have written here for the after show is you're going to talk about a ball of tinfoil. <laughs> it said no. That's not what we're talking about. That's what about. it says. It says TikTok. Well, we already talked about TikTok. No, but we should talk about – maybe we should – do you think our listeners want to listen to us talk about TikTok or this ball of tinfoil? <laughs> now you have to explain what it is, though, because people are going to be confused. Okay, so TikTok is an app. No, the other one. The ball of tinfoil? Yeah. Okay, maybe I'll do it really quickly. So um, I, had, I had this like this fun art project with my daughter where we took a whole roll of tinfoil, 50 yards, and we smushed it up into a ball, and then we hit it with a ball, point, a ball pin hammer a thousand times until it's very smooth and then we sanded it and now it's like this polished ball of tin or aluminum it's really light it's very it looks light like it'd be really heavy but it's very light and my daughter loved doing it and then she like it became her like de facto stuffed animal for like two weeks yeah it's called al i think it's a little weird that you brought it in and like <laughs> stole it from her i'm cultivating a mystique here that's what i do <laughs> it's my phrase so let's talk about let's talk about the the TikTok process that we went through. You know, it's interesting because you have to add. Not, you don't have to, but sometimes you have to add text on depending on which meme you're doing. Mm -hmm. And Alexia was in charge of this because she's. I don't know why she was in charge. Well, she was filming us, I guess. Yeah. Um, so she was in charge of of like adding the text onto it, and I was watching her, and it really is an art. Because you have to time it properly, yeah. and because a lot of these, a lot of the text happens when you like put when a beat drops, or mm -hmm. like there's it com comes on and then comes off. So you you do have to be particular about it. It's not that it's incredibly difficult, because again, yeah. we always want to talk about how TikTok is not hard. Don't be intimidated by it. You just use the convention over and over, and it's kind of like a script is already there for you. But you know you have to learn how to use the platform, just like anything. Yeah. One thing that blew my mind is that we chose one. Um, and like the filter was like built into yeah. the process. It was like built into the sound. The sound. So the sound that was used 
has has the filter that, so the halsey one yeah. it, the sound that's used has that inverted filter inside of it like the one that makes you blue or green or something so it's like tiktok understands that people are using this song with this filter and they've made it that easy that it's all built in yeah that because I, I always because tiktok has like a million filters and i always thought we need to like go find it or mm -hmm. whatever but it's like nope yeah we are it's like forcing us into that meme which thing, is cool one thing i did think was kind of not hard but we'd have to learn more about how to do it is choosing which sound to use because a lot of times like for example we did the um the kylie jenner rise and shine mm -hmm. and there's a lot of different rise and shine audio sounds and yeah. so does it matter which one you choose i was trying to find ones that had thousands and thousands of videos used yeah, so like right. other people would see it when they pop when they clicked onto that but it's hard because you can't it's, it, they're like not ranked and there's not a most popular one when you type in rise and shine right. so you have to almost like search around and find whichever one was popular and then use that particular sound you also run into the issue of like for the rise and shine when we had this problem where because we're using someone else's sound it's not just the kylie jenner rise and shine music it's also people they're like voices on top of it right. so that's a problem too but so it's just interesting like trying to figure out the most pure sound or one that has the most videos i, I was kind of impressed with how many we were able to to pull off in an hour because we've seen other brands like vineyard vines that have like a a dozen or maybe two dozen TikToks, um and they've been around for you know a few months and, and have a hundred thousand followers we've made well, like they have to go through approval who knows what's going on over there i don't know but like we did five in an hour and they're they're all sort of weirdly storyboarded or related to something it's not like they're totally garbage <laughs> <laughs> well we won't be the judge of that i guess we won't we won't but it, it is interesting that we have we started with zero followers um and this is something you could never do with twitter you could never join twitter put out six tweets and have 54 likes on them yeah you know but uh it's the case with TikTok because how many, of the mechanism. How many views do we have? Like a total of 600 or something like that? I don't know. On you'd, all of them? You'd have to look. I'd have to look. Put them here. Well, we'll keep you updated on TikTok. Cool. Let us know if you have any ideas for which TikToks we should do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We will see you next week. Thank you, guys.